Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on Twitter, we could, uh, twitter.com slash albumsaredead, uh, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. Um, nice. I post a little teaser every week about what albums are to come. We're also on iTunes, and uh, I think right now that's the only place we are. We're going to try to eventually get to like Google Play, Spotify, all that. But on most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Uh, tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show, and uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only, so make sure to go and support the artists, even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks, because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks, uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it! So, how you been? Dud, you're winning all kinds of awards on MTV and everything. That yeah. make you happy? Yeah, it's important, I guess, but it's more important to do a good job, the best job you can do. Yeah, you seem to do it every time you're in front of the audience. Well, I was a little nervous there, you know, because it's not easy to play a recorder. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't see a lot of good recorder players around no, anymore, do you? No, you don't, yeah. no. It's kind of like a flute, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Except it costs maybe, you know, seven bucks and a flute. <laughs> nice thing about that, if you get tired of it, you can always buy another one. And yeah, get rid you of can it. if you lose it. Goes I out lose at two hundred something. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. The fans probably do they steal things from you? I mean, do they when you're out and they try to grab the bracelets and yeah, chunk don't. of hair or something? Yeah, but they don't rip my hair. They just want to touch it all the time. Can I do? I've never done that before, and I hate well, to be. Well, it's got a lot of spray in it, but go ahead. That's unusual texture. <laughs> I tease it. Do you really? Yeah, I stood in front of the mirror. Oh, this <laughs> and say is nasty hair, mind. aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of that bad humor, Johnny. You know yeah. where you just you're the only one laughing and you really enjoy it. I know the feeling. <laughs> Albums are dead. A A D. A A D E one five. There you go. Uh, episode fifteen, everybody, of Albums Are Dead with me, the Slip Man with five eyes, or Slip. I'm uh, MegaMix.com on Twitter. I mean, is that the the best uh, accent ever <laughs> in terms of pop music? Probably, right? It's ridiculous. It's so so New York. Oh my God! It's over the top. I, I my favorite thing about that intro is that, man, the Tonight Show crowd will laugh at anything. <laughs> you know what? I've been to uh, tapings before of those kinds of shows. Like I went to yeah. the uh, the Daily Show, yeah. and, and they prime you right. They're like, you need to laugh like it's the funniest thing you ever heard. <laughs> it's basically yep. what they tell you. 
Oh yeah. So uh, that's that's probably it. I mean, it was what in the middle of the eighties too. So humor was a little harder to come by then. Yeah. Well, and it was Johnny Carson. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that he's some kind of hack. So you you went to the taping of the Daily Show. That's nothing. I went. I saw Jenny Jones once. Oh, oh, that's right. Nice. Hey, you are a winner. Good, good job, boy. (laughs) Uh, None of this having to do with what we're covering today. This is uh, yours, your week. Yes. To shine. What are you doing? What are you doing this week, buddy? Well, from the as you can probably tell from the intro, we're talking Cindy Lauper, and I've chosen. We're going to talk about her uh, 1983 debut album. She's so unusual. Oof. What a choice. uh, A lot of a lot of interesting tidbits uh, and some good tracks. So I think it's going to be a fun discussion. Uh, I will ask you right away, what is your, uh, <laughs> have you seen her? I have not, no. Neither have I. Um, what I was really going to ask you is, yes. uh, I, I've known you for, you know, a long time. Yes. You talk about music a lot. And it's I feel. 25 years, my friend. Yeah. And I feel that your Cindy Lauper fandom is a new phenomenon, relatively. Yes. And I need I've... to know what, how did this happen? I don't know. <laughs> Like, just, like, you didn't just become a fan. You became, like, a super fan. Well, not really. I wouldn't call myself a super fan. But I, I definitely appreciate the goodness that is kind of Cindy Lauper's, like, first two albums. Okay. Because they are tremendous. And um, I don't know what it was. I think, you know what? On our sister show, The Mezzanine Sleepover. Yep. Go to mezzaninesleepover.com now. No, not now. Wait till the end of the show. Yes, and yes. And then uh, go listen to some of our back catalog. I remember at one point we did, like, a um, some kind of a challenge, Gorilla, where it was, like... It was like one of the questions that we were doing. What we had was like best song to never hit to 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 not hit number one to hit number two, and I was like, well, it's girls just want to have fun, and that kind of was like, oh, Cindy Lauper, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a deep dive here, and uh, I was, uh, you know, I, I'd say the, the especially the the singles are uh, are are pretty solid. So I've been uh, I wouldn't call myself a super fan. I kind of put it up at the level of like some other pop artists like uh, that I. That I enjoy, but I I'm not like by any means a um, a uh, expert on the on the subject of that artist. And I'm not I'm not going to steal your thunder. I'm just going to say also surprising that we're not bigger fans considering other interests that we have. Oh, we'll get there, my friend. <laughs> and I think that also has lent itself to it when I've when I've uh, been uh, been watching certain things. But we'll get to that later. And everybody, it is not pornography. It is something else. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so um, you know, I mean, where I mean, I guess we can get started here with the tail of the tape, if if you want. Yes, uh, you. This is yours. Let's let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So she's so unusual. Um, Cindy Lauper's debut album released on October fourteenth, nineteen eighty three, uh, by Portrait Records, uh, a sister label of Epic Records. Um, you know, a, a very well known album, one of the best selling albums of nineteen eighty four. Uh, it peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 chart on June 2nd, 1984. It uh, it peaked uh, behind. All right. So at number three at the time was uh, Huey Lewis and the News of Sports. Nice. Um, Lionel Richie's Can't Slow Down at number two. Mm-hmm. And at number one that week, <coughs> excuse me, the Footloose soundtrack. So one of your favorites. Well, <laughs> sure. The song. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, the album ultimately spent... 97 weeks on the Billboard 200. So Damn. A monster fucking hit. Um, she's so unusual, and its singles earned uh, Cindy Lauper six Grammy Award nominations, including Album of the Year, and ultimately winning the awards for Best Recording Package and Best New, Order, New Artist. 
Uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun was nominated for Record of the Year and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. Uh, Time After Time was nominated for Song of the Year. Uh, Cindy Lauper earned 10 MTV Music Video, Video Music Award nominations. Um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun received six, including Video of the Year and one for Best Female Video. And uh, Time After Time had three nominations and Shebop received one nomination. So uh, a very decorated album. Uh, it has sold over six million copies in the United States. Uh, it's certified six times platinum by the RIAA. It has sold over 16 million copies worldwide. So again, uh, you know we're not we're not covering you know uh, albums here that are, un- are unknown. I mean we we go with the big heavy hitters. Yes, at least to, at least up till you know for the most part. I mean we've had a few that are not uh, that are not massive successes, but we've covered a lot, yeah. and this is right up there in the pantheon. Um, according to the Wiki, ah, the Wiki. Uh, at least until at least until 1986. Anyway, the album was the second best-selling album in Canada by a female artist during the decade of the 80s. Nice. Behind Whitney Houston's uh, self-titled debut, uh, this sold more than 900,000 copies in Canada. That makes it uh, what eight or nine times platinum in Canada. So, well done, Cindy. Um, I mean, personal connection. Uh, you kind of hit on that. Uh, uh, before uh, I got into the tail of the tape, um, I don't have a big personal connection to this album historically. Um, I was pretty young when this came out, as uh, you know, 1983, 84. Um, I wasn't like super into pop music when I was seven, uh, or yeah, seven. Um, but it was a monster hit in the 80s. I definitely remember the song, uh, at least for the, for, you know, girls just wanted to have fun specifically, and uh, remember all the all the hoopla. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cindy's peak era, like the, the, her first two albums there really been on my radar only the last few years for, I don't know, just cause I'm, it's interesting and I like the music. So, um, how about you? What, what are you, what do you have any, uh, any personal thoughts on, on, on this album at all? Same as you, uh, very young when this came out was obviously aware of good girls just want to have fun because it's a gimmicky song. Yes. Uh, time after time, um, all through the night to a lesser extent, I knew, uh, when I became more interested in 80s music yeah. in the mid-90s, yes, uh, obviously went back and, and then uh, listened to more of this album, but was never, honestly, never a huge fan. I think I've, no. just, I've just heard girls just want, like, any 80s that you go to, and I went to a lot. Yes. Uh, they would play it all the time, right? So eventually you're just like, all right, like, Well, I assume that a few, at least a few of these songs... Um, were uh, dubbed onto uh, 80s mixtapes by you and Mistopheles. Absolutely. And then put into your little uh, leather uh, tape binder. I'm sh- they absolutely Stop binder, were. A little suitcase. Yep. <laughs> a little suitcase that you carried around with all your 80s mixtapes. So I had a copy of this on vinyl, and uh, again, my original collection was dumped, and then uh, I have it now on vinyl again. And nice. all of the singles, obviously, also have my Dirty Little Mitts on. And yes. uh, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice tight little album. It's uh, not too long. There's enough stuff no. that everyone knows on it. There's not a hell of a lot of like poor filler. So uh, you know, I like it. I, I probably as as you uh, or as with you, I am kind of a later bloomer to being like, all right, I really appreciate this. Right on, brother. Well, let's let's take let's 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 check out the background a little bit uh, on on not just the album, but Cindy Lauper as well. Uh, Cindy Lauper. It was interesting. I was reading up on Cindy, and I, she was born in Queens in 1953, um, which means she was already 30 when this album came out. Yep. Which I was shocked to actually read. I was like, wow, you know. And even today, if you see her, it's like she doesn't look like she's 65. But, no, she um, doesn't. 
so that was that was the first thing that kind of struck me. Um, so just for anybody who doesn't know, in the early 70s, uh, Cindy Lauper was in various cover bands. Uh, she met a saxophone player, uh, John Turi, in 1978, and they formed a band called Blue Angel. And uh, Blue Angel released a self-titled album in 1980, and I got a little clip from their, from their debut album, and uh, you can play it right now. Now that she's singing. Yep. Uh, that's uh, I Had a Love. I believe it was the lead single off an album. It, didn't, it, didn't, it, sold, it sold hardly anything. Um, got a very kind of uh, doo-wop-y kind of new wave feel to it. Uh, you know, I could see how it wouldn't uh, capture the minds of people. Um, the album tanked. The band fired their manager. The manager then sued the band. And uh, because of that, Lopper was forced into bankruptcy. Um, she spent time working in retail stores, waitressing at an IHOP, singing in local New York clubs. And at one bar, she met uh, David Wolf, who took over as her manager and got a recording contract with Portrait Records. So in uh, May 1983, Cindy began recording her debut album. Uh, in a 2014 interview with Time, she had this to say, Nothing on that record is an accident. I have a very clear vision of what I wanted to say on that record and uh, what I had hoped people would feel when they listened to it. I wanted to be very clear that I was an artist and had been influenced by many genres of music. So I made sure you could hear a little bit of it all. I wanted all those influences included and to sound like me while also being commercial at the same time, which is refreshing. I want to sell some albums. <laughs> that is correct. Um, I don't honestly, I don't have a lot of background, but I would be remiss as you teased early on. Yes. Uh, about, about this. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dip right into it. Um, this album was a, you know, we, this was a massive hit. And we will break it down as we always do, um, track by track, and we'll talk about reviews. We'll talk about tours, but um, there's an aspect of this of this uh, of this album, and well, an angle, if you will, uh-huh. that is of particular interest to you and I. Yes, and uh, it's very simple: the rock and wrestling connection. Yes. Um, so I'm not going to try and do this off the top of my head. What I did was I found kind of a. Um, a really good article from the, in the Independent in uh, 2014 by Richard Hay, Hay Brown. And I'm just going to kind of read through it. And feel free to jump in and sprinkle anything you want. Um, but this kind of sums up, uh, you know, hits the high notes of the Rock and Wrestling Connection. So uh, the year is 1983. On board a flight to Puerto Rico, Captain Lou Albano, one of the most famous wrestling managers of all time, uh, pro wrestling managers in the WWF, folks, um, meets an up-and-coming pop star by the name of Sidney Lauper. Impressed by Albano, David Wolf, Lopper's manager and boyfriend at the time, asks Albano if he would appear as her father in the video for her upcoming single, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. MTV was in its infancy and had taken America by storm. As they say, timing is everything. The World Wrestling Federation was about to go mainstream. Uh, with the worldwide success of Girls Just Want to Have Fun, as well as the worldwide notoriety for Albano in his role as the cantankerous Daddy Deer to Lopper's free-spirited rebel, Vince McMahon yes. was quick to capitalize, booking Lopper and Albano to appear on Rowdy Roddy Piper's interview segment, The Infamous Piper's Pit. Now, I have a two-and-a-half-minute clip, and I think we should listen to the, to the whole thing. Okay. What do you think? Let's do it. Here's, here's Cindy Lopper on Piper's Pit on May 22, 1984. You look terrific. You look terrific. You know, as, as we were saying, we're both number one in, in what we do. 
and uh, I'm a self-made man, and I realize that uh, through, through the time you've had a lot of friends uh, help you out, and especially one Captain Lou Albino, your manager, the man who has taken care of you and actually brought you from nothing and taken you up. Ronnie, wait, wait. Yes, darling. No, I love Lou, but he's not my manager. A lot of people think that. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. You're not calling... You're not calling... Wait, wait, no, I know you don't, you don't mean that. You're not calling Lou Albino a liar. I know that. He, he's your manager. Dave would never... Lou would never say that. Lou, hey, Cindy, sweetheart, how you been, baby? How you doing? Cindy, tell all these people out here how I took you, Cindy, and found you in New York City and Queens, and how I made you a superstar. Tell them what I did for you, Cindy. Lou, Lou, come on. Only kidding. No. No, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. wait a minute, Cindy, tell them how. You tell me. I I wrote the words for time after time, Cindy, and He's only kidding. Oh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Now, you've told me that you've taken, you taken 75%. You told me that you, you brought her from nothing. From Took from a, telling how, how, how women, Cindy, belong in a kitchen and pregnant, Cindy, that no woman's ever accomplished anything without a man behind her. Cindy, tell him that. Wait, 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 wait Lou. Lou, you know, I don't like that. You're only fooling around, right? Because I don't no, like no. that stuff. No, no, wait a second. This is not fooling around. You're not myself and I know what he's done for Yeah, that one second in the yes, video, no, what are you no, crazy? No, no, no. It was a big segment, Cindy. You wrote all for me, Cindy. Wait a second, wait a second. I saw, I saw the video myself. You can't come out here and tell me that this man is a liar. I'm not calling him a liar. I don't want to get mad. Now, don't get me mad. Just... Wait a second. We don't care who gets mad. I'll tell you something. Just wait a second, young lady. I don't care what you think. Just a minute, Cindy. I want you to be honest. Tell him how I took you. Okay, so that's <laughs> I love how Captain Lou wrote time after time. That's my favorite part. It's so amazing. So they have. Um, Can you been, d- describe to everybody what happened there? Just well, <laughs> um, so they they bring uh, obviously as we said, Captain Lou is in their video, so they 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 make an angle into it because it's Vince, and uh, they bring Cindy out into Piper's pit, and Piper is you know condescending because he's Roddy Roddy Piper pretending that. Uh, you know, uh, stirring the pot, getting Captain Lou to 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 that you know to say that he wrote the songs and is her manager, and then he you know he gets super misogynistic, and then at the end, really, what happens is is that uh, he calls her abroad, and then and then Cindy starts all smashing him with her purse, and so that kicks off you know um, the big the big uh, the big angle. So uh, back to the um, back to the article. Here we go, playing the role of the chauvinist pig to a T. The slob-like Albano suggested he was the reason for Lopper's success, up to and including claiming he had written all of her material. <laughs> As the discussion got more heated, uh, Albano, Albano dared to label Lopper abroad. Okay, we've seen, we re- we heard that, which resulted her in feeling the full force of her handbag across his face. <clears throat> uh, moving on, a challenge was issued, whereby mo- both uh, Lopper and Albano would select a woman wrestler of their choice to represent them in a match to settle their feud and also contest the WWF Women's Championship. 
Lopper would be represented by Wendy Richter, Albino by Albano by the uh, fabulous Mula, who had held the belt for a staggering 28 years. Um, this would be the main event of the Brawl to End It All, a one-off event uh, that was to be screened live on MTV. Um, thanks to Lopper's interference, Richter would end Mula's near three-decade reign and the event was the most watched program in MTV history at that point. I got I got another clip here. This is uh, this is Cindy Lauper cutting a promo. Oh no! Uh, following the brawl to end it all. So oh take no! This. Yep. There is a very jovial mood at this particular point in time. Come on, it's Cindy Lauper, new ladies champion, Wendy Richter. We've got Cal Rudman standing by. And we have got action. This is going to be a big moral victory for you, Cindy. It certainly was. And Mula, Mula went down just as I predicted. And you know why? Because did you see her train with that guy, with that fat though? Well, I hope you're listening now, fat man, because now you see, now you see you were wrong. I expect a public apology. And right here is the new champ and a, 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 a terrific symbol of the new woman. Right here, Wendy Wrestler. It's just so great. Um, uh, first things first. Is, oh, just before. That? That's what? the best promo she's ever cut. <laughs> I know. Like it's... There, was, there was way worse ones. There was one where she called <laughs> WrestleMania Wrestling Media. It's so great. <laughs> All right. Um, buoyed by this great success, the WWF would start planning their next uh, MTV extravaganza, the war to settle the score. Lopper would again play a key part, as would Albano, albeit in a different way. Um... It started off well. Lopper received a gold record for services to charity and wrestling in front of David Wolf, Lou Albano, and a packed MSG crowd. Also on hand at that, I believe, Dick Clark. Oh, nice. And if you watch the video, Dick Clark all can't handle the hanging shit. <laughs> <laughs> the hanging microphone, he all, can't, he all doesn't know how to use it. Um, Albano, who had been uh, for so long been a heel, paid tribute to her charity work, turning face in the process. And I think, uh, just as a side note, I believe there was a whole... Storyline where he all pretended he had a calcium deposit in his brain. Oh, okay. that, all, that all caused him to be a bad guy. So, just for everybody out there, um, because if you're not wrestling fans, a heel means yes. a bad guy, and a babyface yes. means a good guy. So, Thank Lou you. Albano has been playing a bad guy up to this point, but he turns at this point, and now he is a nice person. Yes, uh, this brought out Rowdy Roddy Piper and his bodyguard, Cowboy Bob Orton, uh, for one of the greatest pieces of villainy ever seen in wrestling. First, Piper mocked Albano before smashing Lopper's gold record over his head. Next, David Wolf, uh, uh, that was Lopper's manager and boyfriend at the time, would be body slammed and assaulted for trying to interfere. With Wolf down, Lopper scurried over to cover him up, which left her wide open for Piper to give her a kick to the ground. It's all Piper, all kicks are off David Wolf. Amazing. Um, Albano was down, Wolf was down, Lopper was down. Uh, Hulk Hogan made the save, of course. Uh huh. But it was too little too Listen late. Listen up, Piper dude. <laughs> dude, brother, dude. Hey, you know what? Hogan probably scared that Lopper would all roll him up. <laughs> yep. um, Piper was the most hated uh, man in America, and audiences were clamoring to see Hogan destroy him. Um, this was a perfect situa- result for the WWF. Uh, just to wrap it up here, uh, not content with some, one of the world's most famous pop stars appearing on the show, McMahon also struck a deal with uh, Mr. T, bringing him in. Uh, to also make an appearance at WrestleMania, uh, and um, oh, sorry, no, at uh, at uh, War to Settle the Score, uh, Hogan would fight Piper without it would end at his DQ. Um, Shocking, and, uh, yeah, and then uh, you know Mr. T jumps the rail and it goes on. I mean, Cindy Lauper after would uh, 
appear again at WrestleMania one uh, with um, with Richter when Richter uh, Rick, was Richter the champ at that point. No, Her she point. lost the title to um, Lalani Kai, I think. Lalani Kai, that's right. Right, she who was title from yeah, who was seconded by Moolah, and then Richter yeah, right. won in the rematch at Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania, and then you have the iconic shot. Of Lopper and Richter basically doing a dosi do in the middle of the ring, <laughs> and Lopper also cutting promos, uh, calling her Shmula. Yes. So, um, yeah. What happened next? Um, Lopper would go and have numerous worldwide hit singles, uh, including "Time After Time," "She Bop," and of course, not on this album, though on the Japanese version, "Goonies Are Good Enough." So good. Uh, which which also featured WWF performers in prominent positions in their respective videos. We did uh, cover this, I believe, as one of our videos back on our sister show, The Mezzanine Sleepover. So go check that out. Um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which gave Lou Albano worldwide fame, remains one of the greatest songs ever written, according to this um, this writer. With the war to settle the score, not actually settling anything, uh, blah, 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 they go on to WrestleMania. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the rock and wrestling connection. Do you have anything to add to uh, any memories of that? I think it's just uh, people, it's hard to appreciate what a big deal the involvement of Cindy Lauper, MTV, Mr. T, celebrities. Um, these days, you know, the pro wrestling event, especially WrestleMania, sells itself, right? Yes. You know, the celebrities go and it, it adds to the show, but a lot of it is also for the celebrity to kind of hype themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, back for WrestleMania 1, it was the celebrities that put the event over the top. So uh, yep. the WWF at the time um, struck gold with Hulk Hogan. They were trying to go national and mainstream. And uh, MTV at the same time was only a couple of years old and was kind of this fledgling network <coughs> yep. also trying to uh, blow up. And so it was just kind of this nice um, this nice merging of all of these <laughs> kind of factors that led to kind of everything taking off. It was nice. Absolutely. Big deal. Big deal. Absolutely. So Cindy Lauper right in the thick of things. And it really, um, I think that sets the table nicely for kind of what was, it, it was a different time, man. I'm telling you. It sure was. It was, uh, it was just, you know, and uh, Cindy would go, would return on, on Raw, like what, 2011 or something. And like do a little, uh, a little, uh, cut a little promo and, uh, and, uh, and kind of make amends with pipes. Hopefully that stuff, promo so. was scripted. Oh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> In one of the cases where that would be a good thing. Yes. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't know. But anyway, that's 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 for another that's for another time and another podcast. Truly. Um, do, should we go track by track on this thing? Yes. Sounds good. So, I'm ready. Um, she's so unusual. Here's how it kicks off. Give us track one. We got uh, Money Changes Everything. Sure does. What a lesson. This is, yes, this is a cover. Originally released, released as a single by the band The Brains in 1978. Written by uh, Brains band uh, frontman Tom Gray. This was the album's fifth single. It was released as a single on December 22nd, 1984. <clears throat> it peaked at number 27 on the Billboard Hot 100 on February 9th, 1985. It spent 13 weeks on the Hot 100. 
Um, there are a couple B-sides to this single. Uh, the studio version of He's So Unusual and Yeah Yeah. Uh, a less common 12-inch LP single also included a an extra fun mix of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. <laughs> That's so, so good. Yeah, girls, extra fun. Girls Just Want to Have Extra Fun. Exactly. Um, an interesting tidbit, the Smiths would later cover this track on as well on their World Won't Listen compilation released in the UK uh, in February 1987. Um, I took a little dip here into song facts. Yes, please. Uh, Tom Gray got a publishing deal with ATV, a publishing company, which pitched Money Changes Everything to the uh, producer Rick Chertoff, hoping he would record it with a teenage singer he worked with named Rachel Sweet. Chertoff declined, but a few months later, he included the song on a demo reel for a new artist he was working with, a brash young singer named Cindy Lauper. Cindy loved the song, recorded it for her album, turning it into a hit and improving Gray's financial fortunes considerably. So, good for Tom Gray. Um, according to Genius.com, it's a first-person story about a girl who leaves her guy for someone with money. While there are many songs about how money can't buy love, this one is the opposite side of the coin, saying that for some, money always triumph trumps love. Lopper didn't change the gender of the song from the original. She simply changed the tense <coughs> Excuse me, to recount a story. Uh, some have re- interpreted the meaning of the song to be about the music business and how big money has changed the business. Well, no shit. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Tom Gray has never mentioned this saying only that he got the idea for the song during a conversation with his landlady who was gossiping about another tenant and the reason for their Im- imminent breakup. So <laughs> uh, there, there was a music video. Don't worry. Oh, music videos. Uh, We're going to talk it about was those. A promo. And I believe it was just a live performance clip. Okay. So. That's Money Changes Everything, leading us off on uh, side A, track one. So let's, let's move on to the goodness here. Track two. Well, girls just want to have fun. First single off the album, released on September 6, 1983, entered the Billboard Hot 100 at number 80 on December 17, 1983, peaked at number two on March 10, 1984, behind what? Come on, you you, can, you know it. 1984? Yep. <clears throat> March? Was it Phil? No, but 1984 is a good hint. Oh, jump. <laughs> yep, Van Halen's jump. Beautiful. Uh, in total, spent 25 weeks in the Hot 100. Not too shabby. Uh, hit number one on the U.S. Hot Dance Club songs. Hit number one in numerous countries, including Australia, Norway, Japan, Ireland, New Zealand, and Canada. Nice. Uh, the B-sides to this are uh, Right Track, Ron Train, um, a 12-inch promo single, also featured an extended version of the song, along with an instrumental called Fun with V. Knutson. <laughs> which was featured early on our sis- early on on our sister show the Mezzanine sleepover and a track called extra fun which i believe we referenced already yes yes but this one actually instead of saying extra fun was the letter x tra fun so i don't know um this of course cindy lopper's signature song this is one of the biggest hits of the 80s uh, it was written by uh, robert hazard a uh, an artist who uh, put a had a demo version of this, which you can find on YouTube, and it's terrible. Um, his demo version was written from a male point of view, with uh, the fun meeting humping. <laughs> um, Lopper rewrote the lyrics, crafting a message that was more palatable to her. Um, in a 2014 interview with the Atlantic, Lopper said this: "It doesn't mean that girls just want to fuck. 
it means that girls want to have the same damn experience that any man could have. <laughs> That's good. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> That's great. Uh, in the book that I just read that you gave me. Oh, I yes. Me. Lopper says, I wanted girls just want to have fun to be an anthem for women around the world. And I mean all women. And a sustaining message that we are powerful human beings. I made sure that when a woman saw the video, she would see herself represented, whether she was thin or heavy, glamorous or not, and whatever race she was. I gotta say that's that was fairly progressive for 1983. It sure so was. I'll give that up to I'll give that to Cindy for sure. Um, <coughs> here's the one. Here's one. I, you know, I know you're waiting on music video, but come on. You know what? You you I know what you want to know. Uh huh. Weird Al Yankovic wrote a parody of this song. Uh huh. For his 1985 album Dare to Be Stupid called, come on, Girls Just Want to Have have Lunch. Lunch. Yep. Um, uh, There's another song, and I'm just trying to find the artist. There's a band called Exude, who also put out a song called Boys Just Want to Have Sex. Oh, isn't that nice? So there you go. Very nice. I'm sure there were plenty of... uh, of parodies where men just couldn't handle it. I'm sure. To, I'm sure. Can, to, if you can imagine how bent out of shape guys get in 2018. Oh my God. Can you imagine in 1984? If this song had come out now, it'd be all over Twitter. People would be so mad. Yeah. Boys like to have fun too. Stop, <laughs> stop trouncing all over my rights as a man. <laughs> you ruined my childhood. <laughs> um, the music video, of course, we've taught, we touched on it a little earlier. It was a massive success. Featured Captain Lou Albano. As her father, um, her mother was also in the video playing her mother. Um, it received six nominations. Uh, 1984 MTV Video Music Awards won first ever award for best female video. And all in all, outright success. Um, not much more to say. Any okay. thoughts? Yeah, I need to add one more thing. Yes. Songmeetings.com. Ah, uh, yes. You know, I didn't get a lot of that this time. So, uh, user, so, so my last... La- uh, la- let's see. Uh, my last name is horrifically accurate, says... Okay. Once I googled my friend's name and found a video of him drunkenly singing along and dancing in his underwear to this song. Then I told him, then it disappeared, which was really sad because that was definitely one of the best moments of my life. He's a funny <laughs> kid. He had a tendency to hang out in the dorm hallways in his boxer briefs anyway. That is a great story. Yeah. <laughs> that is tremendous. Uh, Llama37 says, girls masturbate too. Which, there's a big thread about this song being about that, and uh, then there are some corrections, because that's really about a song that we will talk about later on this album. Yeah, they're, they, they are, they're mixing this up with Sheep Off. We'll get there. All right. <laughs> uh, track three is an interesting one. Let's hear it. Sounds a little familiar. Uh, well, yeah, it is. What is this? Uh, this is uh, When You Were Mine, um, written by Prince. Yes. And originally released on Prince's 1980 album, Dirty Mind. Yes. Um, this is the album's sixth single. It was released on January 31st, 1985. Uh, sixth and final single. Um, it was released exclusively as a promotional single in the U.S., uh, but it did really receive a commercial release in Canada and Japan, so... Um, it was uh, it was released here. It charted only here in Canada, reaching number 62. So it didn't do very well. 
Um, the B-sides in Canada, there was a studio version of Ya Ya. In Japan, the studio version of I'll Kiss You. So nothing uh, too interesting there. Um, Lopper recorded the song with the original lyrics, which I like. So it's got the male perspective, which uh, I always felt... I always I always hate it when the when the when when like and it's usually like a dude will will cover a, a song written by a woman and will change it because he can't handle it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I gotta say I, I like uh, preserving the, uh, the the lyrical gender. It's it's well done. Um, here's I have I have one little one little tidbit and you're gonna enjoy this. Do it uh, from the liner notes uh, that Prince himself wrote on his website in the mid '90s. Okay, <laughs> about the song. Mm. Okay, so this is written by Prince about his own song. Now, uh, before you read it, before you read it, yes, are is the word two the number? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, here's here's the notes. Okay, written in a hotel room in North Carolina on the Rick James tour. This was not a happy period. Prince didn't want to do this tour, but he needed the exposure because his record was breaking R breaking R and B first. He was ready to headline his own tour, but had to wait. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I love how he refers to himself in the third person as well. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. Um, it's just it's a, it's a fairly honestly, it's just a fairly uh, um, not terribly exciting cover, but you know, it's a good song. Yeah. And uh, that takes us to uh, a monster hit, a track four. Written by Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> we got time after time. Yep. I mean, this is the best song on the album. What do you think? So many slow dances at 80s nights. Oh my god. Trying to figure I out mean, which, which lady to end the night with. Oh, it's so good. Um... The second single, released on January 27th, 1984, peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on June 9th, 1984, usurping Denise Williams' Let's Hear It For The Boy. Um, it spent two weeks at number one uh, before being knocked out of the top slot by Duran Duran's The Reflex. Damn. What a time to be alive. Some heavy hitters. Uh, in total, it spent 20 weeks at the hot one, in the Hot 100. Uh, this was written by Cyndi Lauper and Rob Hyman. Hyman is the one who sings the uh, backup vocals in this track. Though for years, I thought it was Corey Hart. <laughs> nice. I don't know why. There we go. It's so good. Very nice. Yes. The uh, B-side to this is the studio version of I'll Kiss You. Uh, the European version of the single also included an extended version and an instrumental version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Um, according to Genius.com, Lopper came up with the title while reading TV Guide. Time After Time was a 1979 science fiction movie starring Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells, portraying him inventing a time-traveling machine. Um, according to a recent article in the Financial Times... Okay. Uh, Lopper's record label wanted Time After Time as the album's lead single, but she feared being typecast as a balladeer. The proto-girl power anthem, <coughs> Girls Just Want to Have Fun was released and said, catapulting her into the charts and all over MTV. Time after time, and it's 70, semi, semi-autobiographical semi video followed. Uh, music video, you say? Um, oh, what? The Wiccai says this. <clears throat> the video for Time After Time was directed by Ed Griles, and its storyline is about a young woman leaving her lover behind when she becomes homesick and worried about her mother. 
Lopper's mother, brother, and then boyfriend David Wolf appear in the video. And Lou Albano, who played her father in the Girls Just Want to Have Fun video, can be seen as a cook. And the writer of the song. <laughs> He's the right fucking writer of the song. <laughs> Uh, that, that ends our, uh, our side A. Um, songmeetings.com. Yes. User Peter Berrien says, <laughs> Dear Pilgrims, the song is about Jesus's love for individuals who sometime run ahead of his teachings and sometimes lag behind his teachings. Either way, Jesus is always there for us, offering help and love. This song will be played at my funeral along with Amazing Grace. <laughs> There you go. I had trouble connecting up to song uh, meanings. Like, it was really slow when I was doing my research. Yep. And uh, when I finally got connected up, it was later in the album. And, of course, there was no entries. So I didn't go back. So thank you for sprinkling these in because they're, they're very important. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, we, uh, we flipped the record. Yep. And uh, we, we kick off side B with this beauty. got she bop yep as heard in the intro of the show uh the third single released on july 2nd 1984 it peaked at number three on the billboard hot 100 on september 8th 1984 behind some track called missing you by john waits or john waits oh you know that song i don't know if i yeah if you heard it you'd know it okay well anyway probably i'll I'll, you know what i'll trust you on this one yep because we never lie on, on our podcast never no lies. Uh, well, that was at number two at the time. Uh, at number one at the time, Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? All right. Well, this song is better than Missing You, but I'll take the Tina Turner song. I'll, I can accept that. Yeah. No, me too. Uh, in total, it spent 18 big weeks on the Hot 100. The B-side to this track is a studio version of Witness. UK versions of the single uh, would also include an instrumental version of Shebop, as well as a uh, special dance mix of the song. Um, this was written by Cindy Lauper, Rick Chertoff, Gary Corbett, and Steve Broughton. According to the Wiki, the song was considered controversial as it dealt with the subject matter of female masturbation. Yep. It also included. It was also included on the Parent Music Resource Center's Filthy 15. Yep. Due to its sexual lyrics, this led to the creation of a parental advisory sticker, though, uh, you know, Cindy uh, did not have to put a sticker on her album. Um... In an interview on the Howard Stern show, Lopper stated that while she recorded the vo- that she recorded the vocals of the song well nude. So take that for what it's worth. Okay. Uh, the music video, according to Song Facts, the video takes place in some kind of dystopian future where everyone conforms. It opens the burger clone where smiling lobotomized customers get their meals. Lopper finds herself a bad boy with a motorcycle and rides off in an animated landscape. Uh, by the end of the video, she has apparently gone blind. So, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. That's Shebop, folks. Uh, songmeetings.com. Yes. I remember hearing this song when I was really young and then learning what it was about, and I was like, no way, girls can do that? I like nice. the message there. Uh, this was by user Quiff Porn. <laughs> anyway. Jesus! I had some Coke Zero. I almost went up my nose, but <laughs> my God. All right. Good old song meanings. Um, we go to track six. 
This is fantastic. Yes. Well, oh, sorry, she's thinking. Yes, please talk. Um, fourth single, All Through the Night, released on September 3rd, 1984, peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100 on December 8th, 1984. All told, it spent 19 weeks on the Hot 100. It's got a B-side, a studio version of Witness. Um, this was written by Jules Shear and included uh, and was included on his 1983 debut solo album, Watchdog. After the Cars recorded their own version... Which they didn't use on any of their albums. Uh, Lopper decided to cover it, so we got a little, little Cars reference. Nice, on albums of Dead. beauty, the first one yeah. ever. Um, according to Song Facts, when the song reached number five in the Hot 100, Lopper became the first woman in the history of the chart to take four singles from the same album into the top five. So, well done, Cindy. Um, this did have a music video. It was a live performance clip, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, good track. Nope. I like that track. Yeah, it's a good track. I'm going to have to be honest here. I think the album drops off right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we got four tracks left to go. Here's track seven. It's like, am I listening to a later police album? Yeah. That reggae feel, yeah. that white reggae feel to um, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Big Man, and also our listeners. I have like no notes on any of these songs except for uh, track nine. I couldn't find anything about Witness. Uh, I'm just looking Not to see there, including nothing at uh, song meetings. That's unfortunate. No. Uh, it's written by Cindy Lauper and, and her saxophone buddy John Turi. Okay, that's about it. Well, here so. Oh, that, there's something else in that with that back and forth. There reminds me of another song, but anyways, whatever. Yeah, you know what? I, I got a, I got that feeling as well when I heard that. So, but yeah, I don't know. Okay, let's move on to track eight. So saucy. This one's not this bad, no. She went to a local gypsy. So, a little politically incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll Kiss You, written by Cindy Lauper and the aforementioned Jules Shear. Again, I, I, not much to say about this track, not much to find. It's not terrible, it's fine, but um, really pretty nondescript. Here we go. For <laughs> another gypsy reference, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we get uh, track nine, a 45 second little ditty. So you want to play a second, a few seconds of it. <laughs> oh, it's All like, right. So this is, yep. this is a cover of a 1929 track by Helen Kane, your favorite. Yep. <laughs> who was the inspiration for the Betty Boop character. Yeah. Um, this was uh, written by Al Sherman, Al Lewis, and Abner Silver. Those are some names for you. Um, the Wiccai lists this track as she's so unusual. In fact, the Wiccai is riddled with inaccuracies, including in the opening paragraph for this album where it states the album had seven singles, which is not true. All right, then. So, Wiki- Wikipedia, get your shit together. 
Um, this is a throwaway track. It's nothing. It's 45 seconds. Uh, a keen ear or uh, will remember this as playing in the background at the start of the Girls Just Want to Have Fun video. Okay. And we wrap up the album with track 10. <laughs> it's like some ska to end the album. Listen, you know what? I like me some saxophone, and we're going to talk about saxophone next week. Yep. But uh, this just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah. Ends kind of weak. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, oh, let's listen to it. Sounds a little bit like Land of a Thousand Dances. I feel like. I don't feel like the tracks are all that bad. I just think you could have paced this a little differently. Agreed. This is a really front-loaded album. It is. And I mean, you know, it's 6 of 10, so it's it's pretty good. Like, it goes six pretty good tracks out of, out of the first. And then the last four kind of limp home. One of them's completely throwaway. Um, but, you know, listen, it's not, it's not the worst, but they, no one remembers these songs. And, you know, you can't find anything about them online. Uh, they've kind of just lost in history, so... That's uh, She's So Unusual, track by track. Um, a, a, a good listen, though, overall. Uh, the reviews. Yes, please. And I'm going to actually get you to, because um, I forgot a, a special review. Can you go check if there's a certain uh, review? Because I forgot to do it uh, while I'm talking. <laughs> uh-huh. um, in, in their January 1984 issue, Rolling Stone's Kurt Loder gave it three and a half stars. He said, here, boosted by a powerful synth-based band, Lopper turns away from nouveau trash and trains her talent on some real first-rate material. So, Kurt, uh, with a, uh, a decent review. <clears throat> what everybody wants to know, uh, not everybody, but me, the Village Voice. Oh, okay, that's not, the, that's not the one you want. <laughs> no. Let me find another one. <laughs> no, that's right. You know what I, you know what I now want. Now I know what you want. Now I know. The Village Voice is Robert Criscow, the cantankerous Robert Criscow. <laughs> I gave this an A. Now... Uh, according to his rating system, uh, an A means it is a great record, both of whose sides, both of whose sides offer enduring pleasure and surprise. You should own it. So it's a, it's a good review. Uh, he does. He did have this to say. <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> Initially, this Blue Angel won my heart by covering the two most profound pop songs of the last five years: "Money Changes Everything" and "When You Were Mine." Uh, now, with "Girls Just Want to Have Fun," the official pep song of the daughters of Miz and Pepsi Cola, and time after time, throbbing hearts by the millions, I've softened my strictures about her Betty Boop bimboism. If a kook whose love respected, loved, respected, and taken seriously by her sisters fools boys into believing she can be fooled with, more power to her. First side's an et- eternal classic, second sneaks by on the one where she kisses me and the one where she diddles herself. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. Uh, that's Robert Criscow, uh, always giving some good quotes here on Albums Are Dead. Um, I, I, I believe it was last week you introduced us to Common Sense Media. I did, yep. And uh, I decided to, to delve in and just take a take a look. Cause, uh, what, uh, do, what do you have to talk to kids about, please? Common Sense Media gave this four stars. Okay. And rated as appropriate for kids age 12 and up. Um, what do they think parents need to know? Well, here's what they had to say. Parents need to know... That She's So Unusual has mostly good, clean, fun songs, although the hit She-Bop appears to be about masturbation. Appears to be. It is. Way to break it down, guys. 
But it's innuendo, innuendo will probably go over the heads of young listeners. Well, yeah. And in one line in the Prince song, When You Were Mine, hints at a threesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's the, re- you know, there's other reviews, but I had a hard time finding some of the older reviews, so I stuck to the classics. Is there a Pitchfork review, my friend? There was not a full Pitchfork review, but they did put out an article with their 200 best albums of the 80s. Yes. She's So Unusual lands at number 100. All right. Uh, and quickly, I will say uh, in the last paragraph here, it was Lopper's brash delivery and rewritten lyrics that defined the album's globe-conquering slumber party anthem, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, inspired by the women's movement and the rawness of bands like The Clash. Lopper turned the original song written by a man, Robert Hazard, from an arguably sexist power-pop tune into an anti-authoritarian Feminist rallying cry in Lopper's voice. Its lyrics became an ode to girls everywhere who are causing scenes and stalking out, or sorry, staking out their right to adventures time after time. Jen Pelly. Jen Pelly wrote that. There you go. Right on. Pitchfork. Uh, Number 100. Not bad. Um, There was a tour for this album. Yes. Uh, Cindy Lopper's fun tour was her first major headlining tour. Uh, The tour began in. (laughs) Poughkeepsie, New York, <laughs> on November 22nd, 1983. Uh, she did play the concert hall in Toronto on April 27th, uh, 1984. She wrapped up her North American leg on May 9th, uh, 1984 in New Orleans. She played three dates in Europe. She returned to North America on August 29th, 1984, playing the Agora Ballroom West in Hartford. Um, uh, on the second uh, North American leg, she returned to Canada for four dates in Toronto, Quebec City, Montreal, and Ottawa between November 12th and 17th. Uh, the tour wrapped up in St. Paul, Minnesota on December 9th, 1984. The Wiccai had actually reported some of the gates, which was strange, um, including her November 12th, 1984 show at Maple Leaf Gardens. Ah. Uh, was a sellout with uh, 13,500 uh, screaming fans in attendance for a gate of $166,353. Uh, that little, little Dave Meltzer action for you. Nice. <laughs> gate receipts. And uh, that was the fun tour. Uh, not not much to say about it. It's not like a legendary tour or anything. I assume there was a lot of screaming. Sounds like fun. <laughs> um, that's she's so unusual. That's kind of the breakdown. Uh, my final thoughts are definitely check it out. It's not the greatest album of all time, um, but it's definitely up there as a slice of pop goodness from the eighties. Uh, uh, I give it a high recommendation to uh, give those first six tracks a listen. They are monster. What are your thoughts? The album's not hard to find. It won't cost you a lot if you want to get it on vinyl. Um, obviously, uh, you can download it uh, legally. Um, yes. Or it's all over Spotify. So give it a listen mm-hmm. and definitely, it, yeah. you know, if the last couple of tracks aren't for you, that's fine. There is enough goodness uh, on this one to at least make some of your uh, 80s playlists, I would say. Right on. Um do you have uh, a little teaser for next week? We are talking about Phil Collins next yes, week. Yes, yes, yes. So we are staying right in the 80s. Um, we're going to talk the album. We're going to talk about comes pretty much um, on the heels of this one kind of winding down. We are going to talk about No Jacket Required, a 1985 album. But yes. we're going to talk quite a bit about Phil Collins between the years 1983 and 1986 uh, as part of My- this. Might you give us a little taste of seeing him in concert? Uh, I may talk a little bit about recently. the concert that I saw recently where he looked like my grandpa. 
<laughs> All right, that sounds great. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. You can go to albumsaredead.com. There's all the links to all our shows and where to download them or listen to them and all our social media stuff's all right there. Uh, we're not going to belabor the point. Uh, look for us next week with Phil Collins. No jacket required. Uh, I am at megamix.com. And I am Slip with five eyes or Slip. Right on, buddy. Good night. Good night. Good night.